Welcome to the Issa Rugby Podcast, where we bring you the latest news, updates, and interviews. With more insights from the Springboks. It is the Springboks champions of the world. The Junior Box, the Blitzbox, our two national women's teams, local competitions, and more. Welcome to the second episode of the SA Rugby Podcast. My name is De Jong Borchard and I work in SA Rugby's Communications Department. Last week we heard from Rassi Erasmus and today we have a very special guest from the Blitzbox team lined up. Before we get to that interview, we broke some rather unfortunate news this week with the departure of the Springboks Head of Athletic Performance, Aled Walters, who accepted an offer to join the Leicester Tigers in England. We caught up with Aled on his two-year stint with the box which obviously included the Rugby World Cup victory in Japan last year. Let's hear from Aled. It's been an absolute pleasure um, being over in South Africa, been based in Cape Town for the for just over two years. I suppose when when I was first approached by Rassi around the, the position, it was a no-brainer um, because I had complete faith in, in himself and, and, and Jacques. And knowing the calibre from the outside, seeing the calibre of the rugby player that, that was here in South Africa, you know, it was always going to be a really attractive uh, proposition to come and work with these guys. And, and like I mentioned, having the faith in those in those guys, uh, I I knew the things could could happen, um, and and I totally expected us um, to to be able to challenge, you know, for 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 a World Cup. Um, 2018 was obviously it was tough at times, but but the but the seeds were being planted, and and that was a really exciting part of it as well, you know, to be a part of this development and and seeing how things would progress. And on the outside, maybe looking at results, you'd be thinking, okay, we win one, we lose one. Um, you know, the game in Argentina away, I remember, was really tough. And then following that with the game in Brisbane, but then going to Wellington. And that not really being a surprise within the group for us to go to Wellington and win that game, you know. So we were very comfortable and confident knowing that there was something special happening. And then last year, obviously, 2019 was just, it's it was by far the pinnacle of 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 a, of a career and and something I couldn't have dreamt of, you know the the rugby championship, and then the World Cup in Japan, which was the culmination of a lot of planning, a lot of detail, and it was just yeah, unbelievable. And and to have worked with a group who was so driven, and what I'd like to do is is you know is to respect the the, the players who missed out as well. You know, there's there's a lot of guys, and I don't want to name check guys, but a lot of guys who came in gave absolutely everything. You know, I will mention the likes of Andreas de Heisen, Reiner Elstadt, Marcel Kutsia, who were so close and, and, and didn't make it, but their, their character and their attitude was incredible throughout. So, yeah, it's very sad to be leaving, but um, obviously within the current climate, it's 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 exciting to get back and closer to home you know it's um my wife's family in ireland my my family in wales to be able to get back now and be be, be closer it's yeah it's a, it's a very attractive thing and then 
a challenge then of working with one of the biggest clubs in Europe. It's it's something very hard to turn down, and I've massive respect for for a club like Leicester having faced them with with Munster in the past and 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 knowing what's what's possible there. So yeah, it's it's bittersweet on one hand, very sad to be leaving, um, possibly prematurely. But on the other hand, you know, it's it's rugby, it's life, and and really, really looking forward to to joining joining a new new team um, and and a brand new challenge. So, yeah. But I'll I'll forever be grateful for the opportunity and uh, for the opportunity to work with with the, with the, with the Springboks uh, for the welcome I've had here, and um, yeah, great memories anyway. Someone who worked very closely to Aled was Springbok coach Jacques Ninaba. Let's hear what he had to say about the boxer's grey-haired fitness guru. Where do I start when I when I start talking about Aled? I would probably start um, where our relationship started, and our relationship was built on friendship. Before I would say that it was built on colleague uh, on working colleagues. And when I use the word friendship, I, I think of all the characteristics that probably will sum up Alad off the field. And that's a supportive guy, uh, non-judgmental. Uh, when I got to Munster, I probably didn't know the culture that well. And he never, he never judged my, my weird ways and the ways that we did stuff. He was always a good listener. I mean, you can think South African culture combining with a Welsh uh, head of performance in an Irish environment. He was always listening and, 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 and hearing out our perspective on things. He's a very honest guy, uh, very dependable. He always had our back. Even when we uh, uh, came back to South Africa, Alad was one, was, was within a flash. He, he said to Rossi that he will join us. He's a very loyal guy. So I would say if I have to sum up Alad Walters off the field, that would probably be, he was one of my friends. And I think not a lot of people will know this, but uh, I probably knew Alad on and off the field better than the other guys because we were roommates when we traveled as a, as a Springbok management. Uh, and, and this story will always be in my head. Uh, Alad's got a massive work ethic and we joined a room in Buenos Aires and on the one Saturday morning we started working early from seven in the morning till about four o'clock in the afternoon, only lifting our heads out of the computers when we went for a quick toilet or bathroom break. But at four o'clock we closed the laptops and and we would do some research, find a nice restaurant with a good wine menu, and then we'll go off and have a a feast and and, and a nice uh, a, a nice some nice wines. Uh, that that's probably sums up Alad off the field, hardworking but always keen uh, to have some time away from rugby and a nice good chat. When I when I talk about Alad on the field, I would probably say the first thing that that struck me from Alad. Uh, outside his, his, his work ethic was his, his skill to, to make, uh, strength and con- the strength and conditioning environment very sim- sim- simple, to simplify it. And, and me coming from a physio background into an SSC background before I went into coaching, I know that in the SNC environment there's a lot of numbers and metrics that you can follow, but Alad had this unbelievable, uh, gift to to make it as simple as possible for coaches and for players to understand and and top that up with uh, being very good at what he does, being an expert at what he does. That's probably described Alad on the field. 
And then lastly, so why would we, why would Alan leave? Um, I mean, Alan came to me early just before lockdown and said that he had this offer from Leicester and he's very keen. It's something that he's doubling into and, and thinking about. And uh, from our side, I mean, Rusty and Charles got on it straight away and they we created an environment where monetary-wise, he would have been happy and, 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 and uh, career-wise, he was happy. But the one thing that we couldn't provide was family, you know, and, and Alan from the onset said, listen, his parents and, and Rasheen's parents are, are alone and, and, and this whole COVID pandemic made them think and reevaluate things and it wasn't a, uh, it's not a career move. He's going to Leicester. It's probably bottom of the lock in the premiership and, and so for him it was to get close to his family. He's not going to coach the, the, the English. He's not going to coach the British and Irish line. So it's not a career move. It is purely a move of, of listen, uh, I, I want to get closer to my family. So, for those of you who's be, who know the environment of the Springboks, we are very family orientated. There's always partners and wives and kids around uh, our team hotels. And when somebody comes with a request of, I want to put my family first, we will always be, be lenient towards that. And, and, and it's with that, with a sad, uh, uh feeling in my heart that, that we're saying goodbye to Alad. And as I said, he's, he's probably one of my, He's a big friend of mine, uh, more than a work colleague. And it's with that heavy feeling in our heart that we would say, listen, thanks for everything that he's done for us. But family comes first, and uh, we wish him all the best of luck, not only him, but also his wife, uh, Roisin. And they've been very good to us, and uh, all the best. We would like to thank Alit for his contributions here in South Africa, and we wish him best of luck on his new venture in the UK. But now, on to the main part of the show, and over to JJ Haramsa. Thanks, DJ. I'm JJ Haramsa, Springbok 7's media manager, and it's great for me to welcome Branko de Priya, our most capped Blitzbok of all time. Branko um, made his debut for the Blitzbox way back in 2010 and has now played in a record 75 tournaments of the World Rugby 7 Series. And in this time, he has scored 1,355 points, which include an amazing 432 conversions. I'm reflecting on the conversions because it's part of this conversation we're going to have today. Branko, thank you for joining us. Uh, with such a stellar career, it must be tough to highlight tournaments and wins. But I understand your 50th tournament that was played in Las Vegas ranks as one of your all-time favorites. Um, tell us why. Uh, well, good day, JJ. Um, thanks for this uh, wonderful opportunity to chat to you guys. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, Vegas is, is one of my favorite tournaments because I think um, uh, it's just a favorite hunting ground for the, for the Blitzbox as, as well. And I, I think for, uh, what made it uh, special for me was when I played my 50th tournament there and, and won the tournament. And that's why I can recall on... Uh, that's one of my favorite um, tournaments. Um, obviously, there, there's been many highlights for us as spectators back home. And, um, and I would like to chat to you about three of those highlights that has really inspired South Africans in the last two years. And ironically, all three deal with comeback efforts. And in all three of those, you were down by 19 points and end up winning the match. Can you remember offhand which ones I'm talking about? Well, JJ, I think 
that that still sits in the back of my mind. I think uh, our first one was in 2018 against Australia in a quarterfinals in Vancouver, and then the the second one was in 2019 against Fiji in the finals uh, in Singapore, and then the the reason the recent one was uh, now in 2020 also against Fiji uh, in the Los Angeles Sevens. Yeah, exactly those that um, I also can't get out of my mind. Such a wonderful, wonderful memories we have. Let's go to that first one in 2018. You were facing Australia, quarterfinals, HSBC Canada Sevens. Um, at the time, you were HS World Series um, champions, defending your title, going for a, a back-to-back. Um, but Fiji were really starting to put pressure on, on you guys um, on top of the standings. So uh, you played that quarterfinals against Australia, and suddenly um, you were down 19 points, but yet you managed a dramatic win. Yeah, I think we didn't have a, a good start in that, in that quarterfinals against Australia. And, and, you know, Australia is always a good side. Um, they, can, they can throw anything at you any, any time of the, of the match. And uh, I think how we started that match uh, describes... Uh, why we were like 19, 19 all down at halftime. But I think the way the guys fought back on the second half uh, was just phenomenal. And just to to know that you're not doing doing that for yourself, but you you part of a of a bigger thing like your team, uh, South Africa, and all your your friends and family. And that's why uh, we had to to dig deep uh, pull that one through. Yeah, Neil Powell had a, quite an inspiring halftime talk, imploring you guys that the game is not over by far. What can you recall of that? Yeah, I, I remember he said um, the game is not not over yet. We just have to get the next kickoff and, and keep a ball, and uh, then things will happen. And that is indeed what happened. Um, you did score a couple of tries, and then in in the last almost the last play of the match, there was a try scored and then a final conversion, So take which you took. Uh, just take us through that. Yeah, so I don't know if you can remember, like we scored, I think Cecil Africa scored, scored a try and then we were rushed back to, to make it, to, to speed the game up. But without knowing how many, how many seconds on the, were on the clock and then I got the call from the side, uh, I think actually from uh, our physio, Mr. U Everson, um, just to slow it down and to take your time and uh, just focus on the kick. And that's exactly what I did. Uh, I just uh, followed my my things that I do before I kick and um, uh, strike the ball. Uh, and then it went through the poles. And then you went into extra time, obviously, and then scored the winning points. So, so Sabranko, when you prepare for a quarterfinal, does that, how much does your preparation differ from a normal pool game? I know in a two-day tournament, you often play the, the quarterfinal would be the first game of the second day. But in a three-day tournament, you might play a quarterfinal match on day two already. Um, so, so what's the, the mind games there? Uh, you know, uh, for us, it's, we, 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 not, we don't try to make any game bigger than the other one. Like, if we, we play either uh, Kenya, Japan or any team, we respect them. And uh, we wanna we wanna go out and, and give it a best shot out there. But I think 
for quarterfinals, it's I think that's the that's where you like almost it's a decider whether you go to the final or are you just gonna play one more game after that. And as you mentioned, like in a, a two day tournament, that's the that's the first thing the next morning. So you have to be fresh, mind must be ready and you know that's gonna be hard grinding for for you and and uh, like in a in a three day tournament that's probably gonna be the other way around you're gonna play um, the quarterfinals on on day one or day two as well so you just have to be up for for anything that gets thrown at you. Okay, let's let's go now to that second match. Uh, let's jump. Uh, it's a year later. It's 2019. It's Singapore. Uh, it's Fiji in the final. The week before, you guys uh, underperformed a bit. Um, if one take the high standards of the Blitzbox in, in Hong Kong. Um, but now you're in the final, Fiji, and suddenly they're 19-0 up at halftime. But that was far from over, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, again, we didn't have a, a great start in that final, but the way the guys fought back and you could see the attitude that they that they went out onto the field. It's, we want to do our best and we want to support each other and play for each other. Um, but the first half didn't go away. We didn't get any ball and we just had to defend, defend the whole time. And eventually when we got the ball, we could uh, we could make magic with it. And, and you could see in the second half, uh, that's exactly what happened. We got more, more ball position and we could uh, uh, take advantage of uh, with the ball in hand. So, so this time... When the final crucial score happened, um, Selvin Davids kicked a penalty and that took you 2019 ahead. Um, Fiji attacked, they had another chance, but you kept them out and won that match basically against all expectations and logic. Uh, you you went on the field at that time. So is it is it the same? Is it as nerve-wracking standing next to the field, having played already your, your part, or do you want to be on the field doing a bit? <laughs> yeah, I must say, um, as a kicker, it's always nerve-wracking when you when you kick for poles. And I think Savan David uh, handled it quite phenomenally that day. Um, but as you say, although you're not on the field, while you're watching from the bench, you're also in that that mindset that oh, this is so never nerve-wracking, and you just want him to make the kick and all that. But I think it's it's really nerve-wracking for a kicker as well and for the guys uh, watching from the bench. So, so you guys, I mean, you mentioned you you try and stick to your processes type of thing. What was? Can you recall if there was anything anything different in the team talk in the final on that day from Neil? No, I I think it was still also about uh, getting ball position back, and I think he said if we get the first points in the, in the second half. Uh, then we're still in it and uh, we can go all the way. And I, I think that's what I can remember what he said in the, in the halftime uh, chat. So the, the final and most recent thriller um, happened, as you said, in Los Angeles, um, where the HSBC USA 7s has, has now, have now moved to. This time you were playing some pretty impressive rugby going into that final. Yeah, I think we had a good start um, to the tournament. Um, it was all about laying a good foundation and to build on it um, and just to decide where we're going to go uh, in the tournament. And 
I think uh, we were actually good in, in that, uh, building a good foundation and uh, climbing the ladder step by step. Mm-hmm. Yet when you um, <clears throat> got into that final six minutes in, it was 19-0 to Fiji. But this time, though, you scored on the on the buzzer of halftime and that clawed the lead back to 19-7. you think that was the crucial moment or was it going to happen in the second half? <laughs> well, if I if I think back like that, I think we just wanted to get on on the scoreboard and to get a score before uh, the break was just a, a bonus for us. And you can you can you could see uh, the flames in the guy the guy's eyes and the confidence that we had after that. Um, I just that I thought that was like uh, the part where we got momentum in in the final. Yeah. Uh, and then, um, un- d- different to the other two times, you did concede a try. Fiji scored it, that try. They were 24-12 up. They were less than two minutes to play. You guys got the try through Chris Dry um, and then decided not to take the conversion in order to force the restart. Uh, and there's two seconds left on the clock and Coach Neil Paul calls you onto the field. So take us through the next couple of minutes. Uh, yeah, so um, I think Chris that I scored the last try before the before the last two seconds of the game. Um, so I got the call from the coach to go onto the pitch, and I was the lucky one to to take the kickoff. Um, so the main thing for us was to regain. There was like from the start of the game to get a regain possession, and when I went on, I know exactly that was my job to do to kick a perfect kick so that we can get the ball back. And we got the ball back. Uh, we started attacking, and then I think we got a, a penalty. And then Chris Dry is, is one of the leaders in the team. He said we must slow it down, slow it down. And I think Fiji got a, a yellow card yeah, in, in, that, in that part of the game. And so we, we played a set move, a penalty move, and I was lucky to, to go over the white line to score the try and then I started to take the conversion and like me, a lot of people asked me were you ner- were you nervous that time when you walked back to take the uh, the conversion and till, until to, today I still can't remember how I felt that day I just got up uh, walked back found my spot um, Drop a ball like four times. That's like my routine before every kick I take to for post. Um, uh, I struck the ball. I kept my head down, and the next thing I heard, the next thing I heard was uh, the people making a noise. And then I looked up and I saw the ball went through the post. And after that, I know we could still do this. Yeah, because now you're amazing. Now you are in extra time. But for you personally, I mean, you've just showed the most amazing temperament and skill to score and to convert your own try and to, to force the match into, into sudden death or in extra time. How do you, how do you almost get back to normal after that? <laughs> well, so the, the game is so fast. You need to adapt so quickly and focus on the next job. And that, that next job was holding on to the, the ball from the next kickoff. And that's exactly what we did. 
uh, where a half time talk or extra time talk, and then we got the plan and we just went out to uh, execute. Quite, quite amazing, eh? And then the last play of the match, famously, uh, is the first score is a sudden death try with Saku Makata scoring the try. But he didn't even show much joy. I don't think he realized that it was a tournament winning try. Uh, that's funny that you mentioned it now, JJ. Um, so I think Sakumukara thought that he must get ready to chase another kickoff again. That's why he didn't show any emotion after he scored that amazing try at the end to, to seal the deal for us. Yeah, certainly I think when he realized his teammates were were mugging him, he realized he, he did something very special. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, Branko, if you must name something that enables this team that you play for to come back from the jaws of defeat um, almost every time, what would you say it is? Um, I think we, we put ourselves in defense. I think we are, we are quite a good defensive team. But what I, what I would like to say is that that never die attitude, give up attitude that we have. And I think all of that starts with uh, in training when we hunt each other down and we're just there to support each other and encourage others back. And that's why I think uh, we carry that over to games as well. Yeah, long may it continue because it's it's really a, a source of inspiration for, for the fans as well. Um, just a, a last question: Are you keeping in shape? Are you are you keeping in shape during this lockdown? Yeah, it's it's a really difficult time. I think at the start of the lockdown, uh, everything was like so confusing, and you don't know where to go. But um, luckily, when you just have the time to think about everything, you just remind yourself why are you doing this. And for me personally, I just started that same day with with workouts um like my my special my special private places uh in my garage where i use like um five liters of water bottles and a few tires just to keep fit um so and with the space that i have yeah so that's that's basically what i'm what i'm busy with at the moment good good luck on with that uh, and hopefully <laughs> And get out of the garage soon. <laughs> Thank you, Branko. It was such a pleasure to talk to you today. Uh, stay safe, stay healthy. Thank you. Thank you so much, Daisy, for this uh, wonderful chat. Um, I think there's a lot of people that really want to get out there, but uh, I think we must just stay uh, focused on, on our goals and dreams out there and, and stay focused and believe that everything will turn back to normal again. Just stay positive. Thank you for listening and please join us again for the next SA Rugby podcast. For more, click on springbox.rugby or check out our social media channels.